0: Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by Sureden Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Orange Theory Fitness. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Ashuti. Peter Ashuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Ashuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you live in New Orleans, you know how this goes. Uh, you're out one night having a few drinks when someone says, You know what would be a great idea? In the morning or maybe later in the week when you go to do your laundry, you find the napkin in your pocket with this great idea sketched out on it. What do you do then? Do you put the clothes in the laundry and the napkin in the trash? Or do you decide to actually do something with that napkin? Suppose you choose the latter. Who can advise you when you go for that next step? In New Orleans, that person might be Luke Hooper. Luke is the founder of Factor 10 Design taking ideas from the cocktail napkin stage through design and manufacture is what they do at Factor 10. Luke, welcome down to lunch. Hey, thanks for having me. Jamie Glass is one of those people who had a great idea that is now a product. I'm not sure if Jamie's idea started out on a cocktail napkin, but it did start out on an oil rig. In 2010, Jamie was an engineer working for Chevron. She found that the coveralls that she had to wear, which were designed for men, looked bad and were dangerous to wear because they weren't designed for a body like hers. So Jamie started a company that makes flame-resistant safety wear for women. Safety wear that fits, looks good, and works. The company is called Hotwear, and you'll pardon the metaphor and pun, but the company is on fire. Jamie welcomed out to lunch.
2: Hi, Peter. Thanks.
1: Now, Luke, I'm not sure if I'm doing something good or potentially making your life a misery by having you on out to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) I hope the former. Yeah. If everyone who's listening to this has what they think is a billion-dollar idea, gets in touch with you, that would be, well, would that be great or would that be a major problem? In other words, is what you do a numbers game? Do you have to design and produce 100 products in the hope of getting a hit? or are you very particular about what you design and manufacture?
3: Yeah, it's not a numbers game for us. Some people do play that approach where, you know, you shoot out as many ideas as possible and see what sticks. We really base everything we do in research and analytics to a much deeper level than most businesses ever go to. So whenever we design a product, it all starts with an intensive market research phase. So that way we can define who is the target market, who is the target customer, what's the best price point, and is this really novel enough, and is there a pivot that we need to do ahead of time? So it's more about defining an interesting problem, and then once you define that interesting problem, and then you start to investigate the market, because one product doesn't build a business. So when we do it, we always like to say we build businesses because it's not the product, it's what's the business model, what's the next generation. How are you gonna grow this into sustainable income rather than a one-hit wonder? Thank you, and your background is, uh, let's see,
1: biomedical engineering and mechanical engineering from Tulane, so you have the background of an inventor, but you uh, basically probably had to grow the, uh, the skill set as a, as a business person?
3: You know, it's interesting, I grew up in a restaurant family, which is one of the hardest businesses to uh, run, so I got to kind of... don't want to lend to them. And... <laughs> yeah, I like... so I got a, a lot more from my parents than I think I expected, but it's true that I always kind of wanted to start my own thing, so I started my first company in college with a laser chess game I invented, and then along the way have started restaurants, yoga studios, um, and individual product companies and they've all actually worked. believe it or not we've sold out of some along the way just because we got to keep kind of moving forward um, But the truth is is that we've gotten an experience from boardroom As I said down to sort of the first person on the napkin sketch and uh, um, a little
1: later I'm going to find find out just how diverse this is fair which enough. is
3: pretty pretty interesting
1: now now Jamie I uh, our researcher, Maggie Mendel, tells us that 22% of the workforce in the oil and gas industry is women, uh, nationwide and worldwide. That seems like a lot of people. It's amazing that nobody has thought about designing safety wear for women before now, but apparently they haven't. And judging by your success, there's obviously a good size, untapped market here. I assume there are industry leaders who manufacture most of the safety wear that's for sale now in the oil and gas business. What's going to prevent one of these companies uh, seeing what you're doing and coming out and stealing your idea?
2: Well, that's happened already, so I wouldn't say (laughs) that it's, uh, it's easy to prevent. But I think kind of what we're creating with Hot Work is a brand that women want to identify with. We only are making women's clothes. We've never even tried to make something for men. Um, so it's really a community and of women who work in oil and gas, ind- energy, other industries. Um, so we want to we want to create a product that women want to wear. You know, I think I, I said this to a, one of those companies that is a big competitor recently. I said, why would a woman want to wear want to buy something from you that for a hundred years you've been cre- creating only men's products, and in the past two years, you've finally paid attention to women versus me, who, my whole company has been paid attention to women. Um, so yeah, I think I think we really—it's more about the branding and things that's protecting us from and being how do you,
1: copied. How do you sell the the? You know, I was thinking all the different ways you could advertise in like oil and gas journal or do a trunk show. What, what do you do to get out there?
2: Yeah, so trunk show is the big um, sort of advertising that we're doing right now. We all, we of course have social media, and it's really just been a lot of word of mouth. Um, you know, every jumpsuit that a woman buys and puts on in the field, there's probably 20 people that she sees in that day. You know, and of that could be women so um, it's really just been word of mouth we haven't spent a lot of money on advertising at this point so um, we're going to continue on that until you know we hit a point where we need to
1: well Jerry I got to tell you something you you came here in one of your jumpsuits and it
2: looks like Something you would go to lunch with? Yeah, that uh, th- that was kind of the point, you know. Whenever I was, I lived out in Carthage, Texas. I would wear my coveralls every day, and then immediately after work, we'd go straight to like the one restaurant in town, the Jalapeno Tree or something, and um, and I'd be wearing it, and it was it was sort of embarrassing, and that was part of part of my you know my motivation to do this was to make something that you feel comfortable meeting friends after work or lunch and um you know i'll walk around the mall and i get women stopping me asking where they can buy the jumpsuits like thinking that they're just regular clothes there's
1: real safety issues a men's suit is in, it has this extra fabric that could get caught in something of,
2: of course it, when i worked for chevron and a lot of these big oil companies have like really strict safety regulations every day that you have to abide by and you do observations on other people to make sure they're being safe. And one of the biggest rules is having three points of contact when you're ascending or descending stairs. So so two hands on the rails and then your feet the as you're ascending. Well, you have something that the crotch is literally down to your knees and like you could trip over the pants at any minute. So you're having to hold that up with one hand and then you can ho- only hold one hand on the rail and automatically you're you know, in violation. Yeah, you're in violation of all the regulation.
1: Now, Luke, um, you've brought some products with you, and that's really where I wanted to get back. These are have nothing to do with each other, basically. Um, <laughs> no. just, I don't know if anyone's brought this up to you, but it's uh, you have a, a game which you were able to show us a little bit uh, earlier. Very, very interesting. The thing that kind of got me over the top with these shoes, is there any way you can describe these shoes for us and, and what the function is?
3: Yeah, you bet. So... There was inspiration that came on this, honestly, about seven, eight years ago. But the kind of main thing on this is that there's been a push to try to come up with an automatic closing shoe. So Nike did a big back to the future kind of shoe that I said cost $700 with all kinds of micro motors. So this is
1: beyond Velcro. So this is beyond.
3: And so what we kind of wanted to do was shoelaces have been around a long time and not necessarily because they're the best answer, which is what a lot of industries have. So we looked at it. Could we come up with a simple but clever approach on how to do a self closing shoe and especially for kids who have problems putting on even velcro and so we came up with what we call slaps which are slaps. basically what you're thinking it's kind of if you imagine the old slap bracelets yeah, it's designed yeah. so that when you step into the shoe it slaps closed around your foot and it does it in a very fun and kind of exciting manner you can check them out on slapshoes.com but this is our first one we're actually going to try crowdfunding around so now what excited. made
1: you decide to go ahead and make the whole shoe, why not sell the the slap part to a, a shoe manufacturer?
3: So we do a lot of licensing. That's part of our business. Um, I'll tell you from having worked at Nike and knowing basically kind of the shoe industry in general, they're not as receptive to licensing as other ones. The other thing I'll say, and to kind of the earlier point on people knocking you off, um, the patent is pending. It looks very promising. But to go to a big company with a pending patent and kind of a concept that... Honestly, could they take it apart and repeat? It's like they can do that. So part of our strategy, honestly, was we wanted to kickstart to try to see the interest, but also to get some ownership around it, so that there'd be pushback if they do try to knock us off.
1: And you have had experience on that side. I was talking to Jamie about worrying about getting ripped off, but you had a kind of a <laughs> kind of had a
3: high-tech chess game that. Correct. So you know, and this was a journey in a battle and it's kind of funny when you talk about the experiences you get but I invented a laser chess game in college that's a physical game that's gone on to sell millions of units um, and it's still in existence you can still buy it now the problem was we got knocked off in our first year by a major toy company um, and you know we went through the whole process of trying to notify them to try to tell them and when I say knocked off it was a lazy knockoff it was (laughs) the instructions (laughs) if you read them side by side which we did in court they didn't even bother to really change their the own instructions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that started, honestly, what has been an 11-year court battle that has taken me to the Supreme Court of the United States, oh. um, which literally, we just got the final appeal ruled on last week, and we have won. But Whoa. it's intriguing in that... It's not a process built for small companies, so if a company wants to try to push oh, you around, they, they can. they got an army of lawyers. <laughs> yeah. <in> and a- <laughs> so it's given a unique perspective to the way we approach development and patents in general.
1: You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Rusciutti. I'm talking with Luke Hooper from design and manufacturing company Factor Ten, and Jamie Glass from Otwork, where they make fire-retardant safety clothing for women. And Luke, well, let's help Jamie out here. Um, uh, how should she handle that same situation going forward? It hasn't happened yet, I guess, but...
2: Know. Yeah,
3: yes, maybe it's happened a little already. So it's interesting, you know, with uh, Jamie's product, there's design patents and then there's also utility patents. And people sometimes don't know the difference on those. So they are different ways of protecting. So design is more of a shape, an embodiment, a style. Uh, utility patent is a novel and non-obvious invention. And so one aspect that you can do, and this is where I'm going to say two things on it. I actually like Jamie's approach. If you get too lost in the patents and you're not ready to go to battle, it's not really worth it. And so that's why a lot of products we may even skip it because if we're not gonna defend it anyways, it'll prevent some people from getting in the market, but if someone wants to knock you off, they'll still knock you off. That said, I do wanna caution in that one of the biggest things we run into with early stage inventors is they don't wanna share their idea because they're afraid of someone knocking it off. And I'm always telling people, it's like, you need to share your idea. You need to get feedback. You need to improve it. And there aren't guys around the corner listening for your idea to try to knock it off. By the time you get where someone's knocking it off, it's because you've been successful. So it's a good problem at that point. But very rarely is it that you've got a napkin sketch and some guy looks over your shoulder and all of a sudden it comes out. In fact, I don't know if that's ever happened. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, Jamie, you've got uh, come with some double, uh, double issues here. You're, you're also serving an industry that's incredibly cyclical. Yeah. So uh, uh, now you were been in the business a while. D- are you uh,
2: still in it, or
1: did you take time off to build this company? Or
2: Well, I'm, I'm not in it right now working, but I did participate in probably one of the biggest downturns we've had, which we're just now coming out of right now. Um, but that's really when I said, I need to build this company. I'm going to take my extra time to do it for that when it does come back up, because it is cyclical, and yeah. we know it will. Then I'll be ready to hit the market, and that's I've really timed it kind of perfectly in that sense. Um, you know, I really I st-
1: talked to the Saudis and had the price lowered. Oh, just oh thank I thought you, this would help. <laughs> thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> Thanks for making that
2: phone call. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we I, I really started getting kind of down and dirty working on this back in probably 2015, 2016, and you know everyone knows what was going on then. Um, so. Right now, things are looking great, and people are willing to spend you know, almost $200 on a coverall.
1: That's, that's right. Is that what they cost?
2: Yeah, they're, they're close to 200 And the
1: individual employee buys it. It's not assigned by the company? It,
2: it varies by company. Um, a lot of companies, some of the downstream plants around here that we all know are more strict around having like the safety group purchase them for the employees. But um, what I'm used to with upstream oil and gas, like around Texas and things, the employee can buy it on their own,
1: and we did, um, chemical plants and all would be the same. Yeah, same exactly. Camp, right. Exactly. The, uh, these. Um beside being kind of a little bit difficult to pronounce, uh, where did the name come from, or what was the uh, what was the origin? Where'd
0: you start?
2: Yeah, well, that actually is a story in itself. Um, when I first thought of this idea, I was an intern. I mean, it was when I was given my first pair of coveralls and they didn't fit at all. And I remember um, telling my mother, and i've i've always I've also also loved fashion my whole life. I always dress kind of out of the box. so, um, when I was given that, I thought, why is why doesn't this fit women? You know, I mean, this is FRCs have been around for a long time. Why aren't people offering women FRCs? Is- yeah, flame resistant clothing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll
1: throw that around uh, at the bar. Yeah, there you yeah. not- go. <laughs> yeah, try it.
2: Um, so I I call I remember calling my mother up that night and telling her about it, and she said, you should call it hot stuff. And so, mind you, this is 2009, and I thought, wow, that's cl- so clever. It's so it's catchy that's great so that was actually the name of the company and that still is the name of the like legal entity okay um hot stuff apparel but um we kind of started rolling with that and we added safety wear at the end because you know hot stuff by itself can yeah
1: that was maybe not in the me things. well this was
2: this was before me two days okay all right all right And, uh... and then starting probably um this year 2018 was when I started sort of getting feedback from people, like, maybe this isn't the best name for something <laughs> um, so for women in the workplace right now. <laughs> and, you know, at first, you, there's a little bit of like, oh no, but it's just a cute hot stuff name, yeah. you know? and But then after, you know, the COO of a big oil company, who's a man, says, I'm not comfortable, you know, putting women in something Did called that hot stuff. Did that happen? Yeah. Oh. You know. We
1: won't name that Yeah, company, we won't name that. But after that
2: happens, you, you really start thinking about it, you know. And then um, I kind of I started asking around and playing around. I have, a, I have a group of women that I'm kind of connected with in the industry, probably 150 women that I've oh. been friends with from working and things. And I messaged them all, and I said, hey, what do you all think of hot work um, as a play on hot work, which right. is like welding and things. And they said, yeah, change it.
1: <laughs> so this is like a... Like a kind of an oversized advisory group. Yeah, exactly. That's we should. All I use have them for a lot of, of things. <laughs> now, Jamie and Luke, this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. It's uh, you're sitting in your office getting some work done when your phone rings. It's your brother-in-law. He usually calls when he's inviting you over to poker night, but this time it's different. Uh, this time he has a business proposition. Uh, Jamie, your brother-in-law says women need more than just protective outer clothing. You can't just wear any old bra panties when you're out on the rig. Like your outerwear, women need lingerie that reflects both fashion and the functionality that provides the correct support and comfort. Your brother-in-law suggests he join the company and head up the lingerie division, which he wants to call uh, Ot Hottie. Uh, what, what do you tell him?
2: <laughs> well, no. <laughs> um, I do tell him that's not a bad idea. Um, you know, one of the products that we just recently launched, is, we call it fleasure. it might not be called that, but it's kind of like a take on the athleisure trend right now, but it's flame resistant. So this suit I have on that's really comfortable, you know, is kind of this Fleisure, and we do tops and bottoms. And, like, uh separates? Yeah, separates. That's so we have a t-shirt works. and pants. and. Um, A lot of people say it looks like pajamas or it feels like pajamas because it is super comfortable. And our answer to that is, well, yeah, if you're out on, you know, a rig out in the Gulf of Mexico and you're off shift because you work days and you're sleeping in your quarters and a fire happens, you know, you got to get your coverall on. Well, why not sleep in this? And you already have it on and you can, you know, you can run to the muster point or whatever it is. So, um, so yeah. Why not have brawn panties too? That wow. You know who knows what you want to sleep in. Absolutely, flangeray.
1: Yeah, flangeray. Let's uh, yeah. do it.
2: Hey. <laughs> um, but I would not want my brother-in-law to edit, and I don't want to call it hot toddy. Or <laughs> yeah,
1: that that has to go too. There's a, <laughs> now Luke. Your brother-in-law has a great idea for a new product. It's the self-lighting cigarette. Think about it. Everybody who smokes needs a light. For people who vape, those things actually light themselves. Your brother-in-law's idea is the same sort of technology that fires up e-cigarettes built into the cigarette pack. Sure, it'll add a couple of cents to the cost of a pack of cigarettes, but people who smoke seem to be prepared to pay anything. Uh, plus, it's super convenient. When you think of the number of smokers in the world, this has got to be a billion dollar idea. What do you tell your brother-in-law? So, Besides I, the fact I, smoking is bad for you. Well, it. and so, you know,
3: it. I, I brace this in two points. Um, You know, our mission honestly centers around developing products and businesses that benefit the world on a global scale. So I wouldn't invest and I wouldn't assist with it just based on the fact that I don't believe that would be helping the world in a positive way. Now, what I would tell them though is how to go about it is do a detailed search on the internet, go beyond the first page of Google, <laughs> actually look into kind of patents around the area. Because what most people don't know is you can get on-patent database, and patents get published before they obviously get through the whole process. Is, is there one piece of advice you'd, you'd like to give somebody who comes to you with an idea? It's that these days you can really do so much more than you ever could. So the fact is, is that if you have an idea... Hiring an expert is a good thing at a certain point, but you can start to prototype, you can hire freelancers online, you can get so much advice online, you can learn and essentially now more than ever, even through crowdfunding and other means, you can do it. Now it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of passion, it takes dedication, and you have really got to think through that commitment, but it's more possible than ever and I encourage people that... If you have an idea, even if it doesn't turn out to be the right one because your first idea never usually is, keep thinking because eventually you will hit one because there's opportunity everywhere. Of all the superpowers you could have, there's nothing quite as powerful as a great
1: idea. Everything from democracy to the toothpick started out as just an idea. People with great ideas and the ability to turn those ideas into real things are not the sole province of Silicon Valley. We have our fair share of talented creators and manufacturers right here in New Orleans. Jamie and Luke, you are ample proof of that. It's been great to meet you, and thank you both for taking the time today to join me and out to lunch. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Luke Hooper, founder of Factor 10 Design, and Jamie Glass, founder and owner of Otwork. You can find out more about Luke's designs and products and Jamie's protective clothing by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to the show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at It's New Orleans Com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and itsneworleans Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of iNO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9. FM. I'm Peter Rusciutti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch.
0: Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Sureden Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Orange Theory Fitness. Additional support for Out to Lunch comes from Basic Swim and Gym, Travel Central in Metairie, and Strategic Resumes.